You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're in week 10 of our series through the book of James. If you're new to Revolution Church, what we like to do 90, 95% of the time is preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible. Today, you're going to see why, because today's passage is going to be a hard-hitting passage. We've been wearing our steel toes during this whole series, but today, man, everybody's toes are getting stepped on. Look at your neighbor and say, get your steel toes ready, baby, because... So the reason why we like to go verse by verse through books of the Bible is because this is a passage that usually is skipped over and it isn't tackled. And so we like to get into verse by verse because it forces us to deal with difficult passages like this one. And it also keeps us from abusing certain subjects that we would abuse in the flesh. We're going to be in James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 today. And if I was going to give this sermon a title, uh, it would be a threefold title. I would name this America's Idol, if I was trying to be super cute, right? I would name it Fool's Gold, or I would name it Wealth Without God. The whole theme of the book of James, if you remember, the overarching main theme is real faith produces genuine works. And the sub-themes that we've seen in different passages and different verses uh, are many, one of which is real faith produces genuine humility. We've really been on that one the last couple of weeks. Well, today we're going to see real faith produces genuine generosity. I heard a story about three pastors that went to heaven. And in this story, it's horrible theology. So don't base your theology off this story. But there was a Catholic priest, there was a Baptist pastor, and there was a Pentecostal pastor that all died at the exact same time. They get to the pearly gates and St. Peter goes, Oh no, we don't have y'all's mansion ready. I don't know what's happened, but there's been a mix-up. We don't know what to do. So he calls Satan and he says, Hey, Satan, We don't have anywhere to put these guys. Do you mind if they hang out with you for a few days? Satan says, sure, the more the merrier. A couple days later, Satan calls St. Peter, says, you got to come get these guys. The Catholic guys are blessing everybody. The Baptist guys baptizing everybody. And the Pentecostal pastor down here raising money for air conditioning. Again, horrible theology. Now that's funny, and the reason it's funny is because there's some truth in it. Every single person has most likely seen the abuse from pulpits or the abuse from platforms like this, where a prosperity gospel has been preached, where someone has tried to manipulate people in the crowd to get money. I understand that. So please understand today, we're dealing with a text that, yes, it's about your wealth, and about your money, and about your stuff. But it's a very, very important warning for those in here that don't know Christ, and a very important teaching for those of us that do know Christ. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 5. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Stop along the way and uh, unpack this as best we can. James says this, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. So James is talking to what he calls rich people. 
If we go back and look at some of the history of the book of James and where we've been, clearly in this congregation that James writes to, there's some rich people, there's some poor people, because in James chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, James scolds the church for treating the rich people better than the poor people. The rich were also mentioned in chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, when James says, you rich people are chasing after futile pursuits. This is a first for many reasons, but the first of which, this is the first time James directly addresses you rich people. He's talked about them, but here he directly addresses them. In our translation that we read here in the NIV, it says, now listen. Your translation may say, come now. I like the way the NLT puts it. Uh, They say, look here. When I was a kid growing up and my parents would say, look here, boy. I knew I better listen. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because I'm getting ready to get a whooping if I don't. Uh, They were trying to use their words in order to shake me into listening because I most likely needed to change a behavior. Well, in the book of James, this phrase, now listen, come here, look here, however you phrase it, is used several times, and it's strong language that's meant to snap people out of a worldly habit that they're struggling with. Here, James is addressing who I'll refer to as rich, poor people. I love the way Chuck Swindoll puts this. Uh, He describes there being four different types of people as it pertains to outward and inward wealth. Of course, the outward wealth being how much money you have on this earth and how wealthy you are on this earth, and inward wealth referring to your relationship with God and how you treat other people as a result of your relationship with God. Now, as I explain this, I'm going to have a chart for you, two charts today, so you can take a picture of it and remember this. Let me preface this chart by saying this. How much money you have means nothing about your spiritual condition. However much you have on the outside does not dictate your spiritual condition on the inside. Okay, is everybody with me? Say amen. Put that chart up. Here's the four different types of people, and I'll clarify with you who we're speaking about specifically. Uh, Physical condition, in other words, uh, how much wealth you have on the outside in this world can be poor, and there are people that are poor in their physical condition. Uh, They don't have a lot of outward wealth, but they're also, spiritual condition is poor as well, so they don't have a relationship with God. So little material wealth, no love for God. There's also those that have no material wealth in this world. They're poor in their physical condition, but they're rich in their spiritual condition. So they have little material wealth, but they have strong faith. They're still generous with what they have, and they know, even though they don't have a lot of worldly wealth, they're blessed no matter what because all they need is Jesus. On the other side of that, there's people that are rich physically. They have a lot of outward wealth, lots of money, and that's a subjective definition. I get that, but here later, we'll talk about what is defined as a rich person, but maybe they're rich physically and outwardly, but they're poor spiritually and inwardly. So they have a lot of wealth, an abundance of material wealth, but they don't realize that blessings come from God in order to bless others. And then, of course, you have People that are rich in this world outwardly and they're rich spiritually, they're blessed in material wealth and heavenly riches because they use their prosperity in order to help others. James is referencing the rich outwardly, the rich in physical condition, but the poor inwardly, the poor in their spiritual condition. In other words, 
he's addressing lost rich people. Now, this is also the first time in the book of James that James is addressing a lost crowd. Up until now, through the entirety of the book of James, he's speaking to Christians and their behavior. He's saying, brothers and sisters, brothers, sisters, treat each other. This is how you should act, so on and so forth. This is the first time in the book of James he writes to lost people. Why did he write this? Well, clearly one reason he wrote this is he's hoping some of these people that have a lot of worldly wealth, they're, they're, they're rich in their physical condition, uh, but poor in their spiritual condition and have no relationship with God. He's hoping they read this and they repent and they put their trust in Jesus and they get saved. But also keep in mind as we go through this, and you'll see this specifically in one of the points that we point out, this is written very similarly to the way the prophets wrote some of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the prophets would talk about the people that were sinning against God's people and and almost as if they were encouraging God's people to keep moving forward because God was going to punish the people that were coming against them. So this also is an encouragement to the Christians to say, we know these rich people are oppressing you, but keep the faith because it will not go unpunished. Now, even though this is written to a lost crowd, every single Jesus follower can identify with the concepts. And so hopefully today what we get if we're believers is we recognize and don't fall into the traps that James is going to point out, the temptations that he points out, and we'll change our behavior and get some clarity on how we're supposed to deal with our wealth. One theologian says this about this passage, great intelligence and hard work can make a person wealthy, but it takes God-given wisdom and supernatural humility to be able to manage wealth and influence. The overarching warning for this particular passage of Scripture, here's the warning. Trusting in worldly wealth instead of trusting in Jesus ends in disaster. The other warning as well is a lack of judgment today does not mean a lack of judgment when Jesus comes back or you die. In other words, you could have everything you want today, be living a great, comfortable, great life. But if you don't know Jesus and you haven't given everything to him, don't think just because life's good today that you're not going to be judged later for how you steward the things that Jesus gives you. Now, we're going to get into verse 2, and in verses 2 through 6, we're going to see James address really two things for these rich, poor people. How they acquired their wealth and how that was sinful, and then how they used their wealth, which was also sinful. Let's go to verse 2. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Listen to some of this strong language, y'all. Like, it's the imagery that's used here. It's really, really strong. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you, and listen to this, eat your flesh like fire. And he's coming out of the gate hard here. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. The first sin that James speaks to, that this crowd is struggling with, and we need to learn from, is hoarding. This picture that James gives 
of massive waste that these people are doing. He talks about three specific things. First, he talks about the food that they're wasting. The idea is they're having these large feasts and all this food, but then when the feast is over, they just let the food rot and they throw it away and it's good for no one. Obviously, uh, these rich, poor people didn't do what I did when I was growing up. When I was growing up, my parents looked at me and said, clean your plate. Anybody with me? Say amen. And it's kind of gone in. We, weren't, we didn't have a whole lot of money and a whole lot of food to eat, so I cleaned my plate, man. I, I, I see kids today, and they're like, I don't like green beans. Okay, sweetie, you don't have to. My mom would have backhanded me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, eat your green beans. I'm putting a timer on you. You got 30 seconds to get those down. You know what I'm saying? Like, anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the opposite that's happening here. They're wasting food. They're wasting it. They've hoarded it up. They just want to have it, and it'll spoil The second thing he talks about is the clothes that they have. And he's talking about the fact that your clothes never last. You're buying these really nice clothes, but you only wear it once. And then it sits in your closet and you've got these racks full of clothes. On Easter, I bought a hoodie and I love this hoodie. It was a black hoodie, if y'all remember. And it said, he is risen. And it quoted the scripture. And the first time I washed it a few weeks ago, I also accidentally dried it. And when I got it out of the dryer, the sleeves came up to here, y'all. I'm not kidding. It was really, really tight. It came up to like here and here. And as much as I love that hoodie, isn't it interesting how eventually the clothes we buy, they ruin? Isn't it interesting? Like in our context today, what James is saying is you're going to the sales and buying every all these clothes and shoes and and all this stuff, but they end up in the garage sale. A year later, he just hoarded all of this. Thirdly, he talks about gold and silver. And he talks about the fact that gold and silver tarnishes. I was listening to Dave Ramsey this week, and somebody called him and asked him, should I invest in gold? And if you don't know Dave Ramsey, he recommends not doing that because it's so volatile. And Dave Ramsey said something, and it was so funny. He said, the only value that gold has where it goes up in value is when you buy gold and diamonds and silver for your wife inside of marriage. It makes her happy. That's the value you get out of it. He's like, otherwise, do not invest in it. It's too volatile. And so what he's saying here is you're investing in gold and silver, but it's so volatile. Your trust is not in Jesus or in God. It's in these worldly possessions. James is speaking to this group and saying, you have so much stuff that you could never even use it all. You probably never even intend to use it all. And honestly, you may not even want to use it all. You just want to have it. You just want to be able to say, You have this many purses. You have this many pairs of Jordans. You own this many cars or whatever it is. And now, all that stuff you've hoarded up is good for nobody. It's like an episode of the American Pickers, if you've ever seen it. These guys go and they find barns full of stuff where somebody's kept all this stuff. And they'll find like a toy that's 100 years old still in the package. It's all rusty and it's good for nobody. All they did was hoard it up. This is what James is saying. Now let me, let me put a side note here and make sure you understand this. James is not saying that you shouldn't 
save money. Okay, this is not a poverty gospel. Don't walk away from here today thinking that I'm saying, if you're not poor and if you drive a nice car or you have a nice house, you're going to hell. That's Poverty gospel is just as destructive as a prosperity gospel. He's not saying don't invest in a 401k. But what he is saying, no pun intended, is don't put a lot of stock in those things. That's not where your trust should be. Boy, this speaks to us. Because what we've made the American dream, I'm not saying the American dream started bad, but boy, what a lot of us have made it is accumulation is a good thing. The more you have, the better you've done and the happier you will be. Crazy because it's even when we look at someone, it's how we measure their success. How many cars do they own? How many houses do they have? How much money do they have in the bank? It's how we do it in America. But what James is saying is, that's not how God measures success. He doesn't care how much wealth you have in this world. It's not how he measures it. He looks at something completely different. James says in these first few verses, wealth is to be used, not amassed. And when we hoard it and we don't share it, our riches rot and rust. What he's saying is, listen to the language. Burn the flesh off of you. You're going to be miserable. All these things. Hoarded riches reap miserable dividends. Money does not bring happiness. And when we have wealth and we don't use it the way God wants, it to, God wants us to use it, it can actually bring despair on your life. When I hear the word hoarding, I can't help but think of another TV show, Hoarders. Has anybody heard of the show Hoarders or ever watched it before? And I've watched that show before and been in awe and thought to myself, these people are crazy. I don't know if you like, that's the reason we watch reality TV, right? Is we're like, man, I ain't as crazy as them at least, you know what I'm saying? And, and I've watched hoarders before and been like, these people clearly have a mental illness because they're saving garbage and they're saving stuff that they do not need clearly. And people are trying to go in and help them and stuff. But what James is saying is stop pointing the finger at the people on the TV show hoarders, Josh. You've got a sickness too. You have a proclivity to hoard all this stuff up. Maybe it's not garbage in your eyes, but it's stuff that like you never intend using. You just have it. Is everybody with me? Say amen. He goes on to the next sin. And he says in verse 4, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The second sin that this group was struggling with and participating in was greedy injustice. We know that the Bible, there are certain lines in the Bible like a worker is worth his wages. When it speaks to how we should pay pastors, it says don't muzzle the ox. But what James is saying here is not just for rich lost people. Think about this. It's easy to overlook the needs of others and your God-given responsibility to them when you get wealth. A workman that he refers to in this passage of the day, they got paid daily. And a workman survived off of what they would get paid off of. So if they didn't get paid one day, it meant their family was not eating. It meant that they could not survive. Now to the rich that employed them, the wage that they would pay this workman was a small detail 
among many other things that they had going on that could be easily forgotten. Now, you remember last week? See how this ties together? Last week, the passage we went over, we essentially talked about how God needs to be involved, not just in the big decisions, but in our day-to-day small details as well. And now here he is saying, you haven't paid workers. You've forgotten to take care of the workmen on your work site. This is something that no one else would notice if a worker didn't get paid. But James is saying, God notices. He sees, he cares, he understands. And when there is injustice that takes place, it tells us God promises to act. Again, this is an encouragement to the Christians that were mostly poor, that were being persecuted by these rich oppressors. And essentially what James is saying is, the unjust acts that you all are enduring are not forgotten by God, and they won't go unpunished. Similar to Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. If you ever counsel with me, I'll quote this to you, especially if you're sitting there telling me this person did this and this person did this, which is mostly what counseling is. Romans chapter 12 says this, and this is the idea behind what James is saying to the Christians when they read this. It says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone. doesn't say just Christians. Everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and here's a great verse, okay? If you're going to get a tattoo, get this tattoo, okay? Here it is. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's why I always tell you, what should I do? Heap burning coals on their head. Love them. Kill them with kindness. Serve them. It'll tear them up worse than if you talk junk about them. Everybody with me? Say amen. They won't understand it. Let God deal with it. Somebody ripped you off? Let God deal with it. Somebody did you wrong? Let God deal with it. Somebody talked a bunch of crap about you because you bought a movie theater? Let God deal with it. Anybody with me? (laughs) I'm just trying to preach from the overflow here. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like my life, I've been repeating this verse over and over. Let God deal with it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 5, he gives us the third sin. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. It says, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And then there's this weird verse, and I'll explain it to you. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. The third sin is sinful extravagance. Sinful extravagance. Let me make clear again. I'm going to say this probably a couple more times. First Timothy chapter 4 tells us, that it is okay for us to enjoy the good things of this world that God blesses us with. So once again, let me say this. He is not saying you're necessarily sinning if you drive a nice car, if you have a nice house, if you have money in the bank, if you've worked very hard and you've become financially independent or successful. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking to the attitude of sinful extravagance. In other words, keeping up with the Kardashians. Now, if you're more seasoned in here, 
then I would say keeping up with the Joneses, okay? Because you're like, what's a Kardashian? I don't even know, you know what I mean? This idea that, that we have a bunch of stuff, and let me quote Dave Ramsey again, we buy stuff we don't need most of the time that we can't afford to impress people that we don't like that probably don't even like us. Extravagance. The reason you have your car, in other words, is so that when you're sitting at the red light next to the person that you don't know from Adam or Eve looks at you and they can think, well, they're a big deal because they're driving a nice car, even though you're in debt $50,000 for it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting all up in your tater patch. Never mind. Okay. Never mind. Sinful extravagance. You got that car, but you can't feed your kids. You're not paying your child support. Keep meddling, don't I? I'm telling you. Sinful extravagance. Sam Albury in his commentary on this verse says, As with all good things, wealth is to be used in the service of others, not in the service of self. Wealth is to be used. We're to be those who have in order to be those who give. In other words, we should never be living as well as we could. Unless we are living right on the poverty line, we should be giving to help meet the needs of others. What does he mean when he says you're fattening yourself up for the slaughter? I was watching a sermon on this passage of scripture this week and I saw a pastor give this example. He said that every single day he drives by a turkey farm on his way to work. Now, I don't know about y'all, but one of my favorite things about the holiday season from November until, uh, from Thanksgiving until Christmas is the food. Does anybody love the food at Christmas time? Seems like that month, yeah, we can clap for that. Amen, y'all, because that month, mm, praise Jesus, that month is the month that you can get things that you can't get any other time of the year. Grandma makes a certain thing at holiday times that she doesn't make any other time of the year. And one of the things that I eat uh, on Thanksgiving until Christmas pretty regularly is a freshly cooked turkey. I love it. Anybody like fresh cooked turkey in here? If you're a vegan in here, we're sorry, but this is Cross Vegas, and we kill stuff, and we gut it, and we eat it. Amen, y'all? Like, that's what we do. So you can make it here, but we're going to turn you eventually, okay? So Because you clearly never had bacon. Amen, y'all? God didn't want to see the animals, why they taste so good. Amen? Like, come on, man. I'm really giving it to the vegans. I'm sorry. If you're watching online, we love you, okay? So don't email me. Email revmen at crossvillerevolution.com if you're a vegan in here. But anyway, anyway, I digress. I love smoked turkey on Thanksgiving, and it kicks it off for me. Well, this pastor who drives by a turkey farm every single day on his way to work says that starting... In September, all of a sudden, this turkey farm will have all these little baby turkeys everywhere. And then as October goes along, you see these turkeys getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then halfway through November, huge turkeys all over this farm. But then at one point, there's one or two days where all of a sudden, the turkeys disappear. Why? Because they go to the slaughter. They've been eating for months, indulging themselves, not even realizing they're going to end up on somebody's dinner table. This is what James is saying. He's like, you, you bunch of turkeys, 
you're just indulging yourself, fattening yourselves up, and you have no clue what's coming. You are headed straight to the slaughter because you're depending on your wealth instead of depending on Jesus. He says, don't do that. Last verse, verse 6, he says this. I mean, this Again, this is a kind of a judgment on these rich people that are persecuting the church and were very involved in the death of Jesus. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one. Your translation might say you have condemned and murdered the righteous one. Both of those are good. Uh, who was not opposing you. Clearly in this last verse in this passage, he's speaking to the ultimate righteous one, the ultimate innocent one. The fact that the rich were the main ones involved with the killing of Jesus. But I believe he's speaking also to all believers who endure condemnation, who endure persecution for the name of Christ. And in the context of this passage that was written to the early church, who endure martyrdom, who die for their faith. He's telling the church, hang in there. This passage makes very clear the message that's really all throughout the New Testament. The idea that there is two paths for the rich people that he's addressing. Two paths for the rich people in this world. Now, before I show you this chart that I'm going to put up again, you can take a picture of it. I want to clarify with you what I mean by rich people, because it's a very subjective definition. And most likely, every single person that's in this room, no matter how big your bank account is, no matter how big your house is, no matter how many cars you have, you don't think of yourself as rich. They've actually done surveys before where they've asked people that make $50,000 a year, do you think people that make $50,000 a year are rich? And they say, no. Well, how much would you have to make in order to be rich? And they'll say something like $100,000 a year. Well, then they go ask people that make $100,000 a year, do you think people that make $100,000 a year are rich? No. How much do you have to make to be rich? $150,000 a year. Then they go ask people that make $100,000. Y'all see what happens? All the way up to millionaires. You make a million dollars a year. Do you think people that make a million dollars a year are considered rich? Nope. How much do they have to make? Two million a year. And on and on and on it goes. So, so we all have this idea that, that we don't have a lot. We, we all have this idea. So just listen to these statistics. And, and listen, we could debate about these statistics. But no matter what study you look at, no matter, no matter what you view, you'll see this trend that I'm getting ready to point out to you. One study done showed that if you make $34,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the entire world. Thirty-four grand a year. You're in the top 1% in the entire world of the wealthiest people in the world. The average income, the average median income around the world is estimated to be $1,000. $224 annually. The average median income in the United States of America is estimated roughly to be around $55,000 a year. 50 times the average median income in the world. The fact that God, by His grace and His mercy, has you living in the United States of America shows that you are rich. You're rich, man. The wealthiest nation that has ever existed. 
What I'm trying to say is this. The most oppressed person in the United States of America lives much better than the average Joe in almost every country around the world. Is everybody with me? Say amen. So when I talk about the rich in this world that's referred to in Timothy, that's referred to here in the book of James, I really believe I'm talking about us. I'm talking about us. Look at your neighbor and say, what's up, money bags, you know? Let's look at our chart. Two paths. Go ahead and put that chart up. Two paths for the rich in this world. Two paths for every person under the sound of my voice today. This is very important. God gives you free will. And you can decide which path you want to take. And this is binary. It's not on a spectrum. The Bible is very binary when it comes to trusting in Jesus. There is no in-between. Nowhere in this passage does James leave room for lukewarm Christians. It's black and white. Okay, y'all? So here it is. You can trust in Christ, and you can live a life full of generosity. You can seek to advance God's kingdom. Your treasure will not just be here on earth. You will be building treasure for eternity because you know ultimately that's where your citizenship lies is in eternity forever with Christ. What you have to look forward to is redemption, hope, and light. Or you can choose, and this is your choice. I can't work you. I can't emotionally get you stirred up. This is all your choice. You can choose to trust in your wealth and what we've made the American dream And you can live a life of greed where you're just looking to advance yourself. You can build up lots of treasure here on earth. Build it up. But what you have to look forward to is judgment. These are some of the words that are used in this passage. Misery and darkness. Strong. James is coming out swinging on the rich people. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 8 through 9. And this really, I believe, should be our prayer when we look at this passage. Listen to what it says. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You see these touches of the Lord's Prayer in there where Jesus taught us to pray, right? Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, you're not trusting in your wealth to get what you need. You're seeking first the kingdom of God, and then He's giving you everything you need. You're not trusting in your sales ability to give you what you need. God is giving you your daily bread, if that makes sense. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, and my translation says money. A better translation, the actual translation, says you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon was a Chaldean god of wealth that the people worshipped at the time in order to try to get more riches. Jesus says, you're either going to worship the one true God, or you're going to worship the false idol of money 
and the love for riches. It's very clear. God is not concerned with how much money you have, so to speak. Because understand this, money is neutral. Money is not the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. Money is a tool that God gives us to be stewards over to advance his kingdom. Money is like air. you got to have it to live. I get that, but it's a tool. But money is not the root of all evil. God is concerned with our attitude towards wealth. The spirit we have about money. The Bible instead says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of stuff is the root of all evil. The love of our material possessions is the root of all evil. What James is teaching us today is God wants us to be content with what he has given us, not obsess over being rich. There's a reason why the YouTube videos that talk about how to be a millionaire in a month get the most hits. Because every one of us has this proclivity and this draw towards the love of money. Let me ask this question. How many of y'all, I'm not going to say love money, but how many of y'all like money? Raise your hand. Some of y'all are like, I'm not raising my hand now. Oh man, somebody will think I'm a heathen. Come on, man. You telling me when you get a birthday card in the mail and there's a $100 bill in it, you go, dang it, they gave me another $100. You know? Christmas time comes and you get a card with a hundred bucks in it and you're like, oh, I wish they had got me a fruitcake, you know? Makes you smile, don't it? We all have this proclivity to love money. And this is, this is a warning for us that God blesses us for the purpose of blessing others, not just for the purpose of of satisfying our own selfish desires. The rich are commanded here to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. Rockefeller, many of you all know who he is, Rockefeller Center in New York, at one time had so much money that his personal wealth accounted for over 1% of the money in the United States of America. Somebody asked him later in his life, you're the richest man in the world. How much is enough? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I know I'm the richest man alive, but I need just a, that's greed. Perfect definition of greed. And the enemy is a master at making us think, just a little bit more. I don't know about y'all. But I'm always thinking in my head, boy, if I could just get a bigger house. If I had an extra large room, then the kids wouldn't drive me crazy and I could send them downstairs. I really hope I can get a really nice car one day. Nothing wrong with cars. Nothing wrong with a bigger house. Nothing wrong with you getting a bigger house. But isn't it interesting? Now we're never satisfied. We always want the next thing and the next thing. How much is enough? How much is enough? 
I submit to you this weekend, Jesus is enough. This is what James is saying. Jesus is enough. He's got to be. He's got to be. If Jesus isn't enough for you, then you might not know him. And I would encourage you to get that straight and repent and put your trust in him and offer your body as a living sacrifice. Give him your family. Give him your finances. Give him your job. Give him your mind. Give him your actions. Give him everything. And go all out for him. Fair enough, Rev Church. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that is here, God. Hard-hitting passage. You're laying the wood to us this weekend. Easy preaching, hard living. We all live in a culture where I believe we're rich. The mission trips I've been on, the people that are considered wealthy in the villages I've been to would look at the way most of us that are considered to be below the poverty line here, and they would be jealous. You have blessed us, God, to live in what I believe right now currently is the greatest country in the world. And because this country has tried to follow you, you have blessed this country to be one of the wealthiest. And God, sometimes the blessing gets bigger than the blesser. I think we're seeing that happen right now. We're forgetting why this country is so great, why we're so wealthy, why we're so blessed. I pray for us, God, as your people, that you would help us to handle our money the way you want us to. God, first of all, I pray for the way we think about money and our attitude towards it. I struggle with this. Every person in this room struggles with this. If there's a person in here right now that tries to tell somebody they don't struggle with having a pull towards loving money, they're hyper-spiritual and they're full of pride and they're lying. We all struggle with this. This is a subject you spoke about so much in your word. Give us the strength to be obedient with what it is you've given us, God. The things that are clear in your word that we're supposed to do, I pray we do them. When there are commands, we do them. But I also pray we walk in the Spirit and are full of the Spirit. So those times when the Holy Spirit nudges us to be generous, that we do that too. We love you. You are awesome. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, man, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.